Good morning. Thank you, David. Welcome again. My name is Dave Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge. There's three of us, two Davids and a Steve. So we, are, we love you guys. We're here to serve. We're here to give. We're here to love. Um, I rely on these men to, um, to, to labor with them. And I'll just say it again, as I've said it before. These men are my pastors. And I know they love me. I know they care about me. They're committed to me as a, as a person, as a, as a co-leader, and as someone who shepherds my soul. And this is, this, is part of the, this is part of the awesome thing of being a church family. You want to swap? Team. Testing. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you also for the fashion advice from my son. Speaking of fashion advice, I really want to say thank you to James for acknowledging the fact that I am indeed wearing a Christmas shirt. I am what's known as fashion challenge, so I'm going to ask you to really kind of give me a little bit of grace in that area. And I'd like to highlight another uh, my brother. Brian Racer, you stand up for just a second. We are both wearing Christmas shirts. This was not planned, but I take it from the Lord. So today, 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 we start our new sermon series on Advent, dreams and prophecies. You know what, can I make a confession of a, of a sort? There's, there's been times in the past where I have not been totally excited about Advent series, because I feel like there is not insincerity. The messages are good. I feel like we're sometimes we're trying to manufacture emotion, or we're trying to manufacture a sense of what it means to really worship and understand and, and, and admire what it is about Christmas. And is, how do we separate? How do we separate the genuine wonder, the genuine? awe, the genuine fear of God we have from just the excitement, the commercial excitement of the season. And that's something each one of us has to uh, analyze um, as individuals. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a look over the next couple of weeks, culminating on Christmas Eve, we're going to take a look at some of the Old Testament prophecies, just a few of them that were fulfilled by Jesus' birth, and how those fulfillments are often accompanied by specific dreams. And as we talk about that, I want to I lay a foundation, just to discuss a little bit about prophecy and mystery and how this sort of lays the foundation um, for, uh, for Christmas and for the prophecies related to Christmas. All right. It's got to work. Can you bump the slide, please? So we're going to start with some definitions. So we have, we, we, we frequently toss out churchy words. Advent. Advent means, who knows what word Advent means? Advent means arrival. It means the arrival of an important person. And the important person that we are welcoming, the important person who we are expecting is who? Jesus, right. Easy question. And then we have the concept of wonder. It's in the movies, it's in our songs, it's in we're exhorted to it. We have images of it, we have warm, fuzzy feelings about it. But what is that? Even using that word, 
you may be tempted to tune out. The word wonder, isn't it overused? Isn't it kind of manipulative? I mean, I dislike emotional manipulation unless it's accompanied by a good Tolkien reference, personally. But when it comes to scriptural truth and the scripture and the Christmas season in particular, our goal is not to merely manufacture emotions, but to be genuinely inspired by scripture. Genuinely. As we look at the different prophecies, the different dreams, the different people, I want to say well, I don't say characters, but I want to say people that were involved in the Christmas season, we're going to see them respond with a joyful reception of God's revelation with a heart towards obedience. So where does this wonder come from? Wonder, well, it's a mystery where wonder comes from. And I mean that literally. Wonder comes from mystery. Wonder comes from the unexpected. And the concept of mystery in the Bible, we're going to talk about that for a few moments here just to kind of lay a foundation for the entire series and also for the concept of prophecy in general. The concept of mystery in the Bible is an important prophetic element. And fortunately for us, the Apostle Paul lays it out really clearly in, a, in, in, in one passage. And lucky for you, I'm going to share briefly on, on this passage. 1 Corinthians, if you care to, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul writes, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. That word secret is also translated as mystery. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. Paul is describing his focus, his personal ministry focus on the gospel, but he's also revealing that God hid the gospel from previous generations. The word secret, like I said, is translated mystery, and in one of the easier Greek translations, it's also the word mysterion in Greek. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 7. No, the wisdom that we speak of is the mystery of God, his plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world would not, have not, would not have understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Paul's plainly saying that the gospel was hidden before Jesus' advent. He's plainly saying that this hidden aspect is part of God's wise plan. Secret means mystery, which means hidden. And why is it hidden? So why does God hide these things? Long conversation. I'm not sure, you could, that could be a whole series of its own. I'll say this briefly. I think, it, I think it is related keenly to the idea that spiritual discernment and sensitivity towards God's truth is required for us to understand him and to hear his voice. Jesus spoke to this when he used parables. He said, I'm using parables which are hard to understand. I know it's hard to understand. I really want people to have ears to hear and eyes to see. So things, some things are obscured and some things are hidden. It was in the Old Testament. Jesus used the same teaching mechanism himself. It forces me, if, I, if, I, if I'm honest about it, if you're honest about it, it forces me to really think, to really be introspective, to really seek his face. So let's take a look at a specific mystery that's related to Advent. 
you were wondering if I was going to get around to Christmas, so here we go. Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. So the author of Mark, Mark, is quoting the Old Testament. Let's unpack this a little bit. We're going to look back to the Old Testament. Who's the messenger? He writes it. Who's the messenger, kids? John, John the Baptist, right. And who knows the Old Testament reference here? The Old Testament reference is the book of Malachi. The Old Testament, the Old Testament book of Malachi, hundreds of years before Jesus arrived, Malachi wrote, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me, before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure when he comes? So, here's Mark. I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare your way. A voice crying in the wilderness. Here's Malachi. He will prepare the way before me. And then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to the temple. So, it's exciting to me personally, as I dig into the scripture, it's exciting to see these passages lie up, line up. It's exciting to see Mark be a fulfillment of Malachi. But something's off here, isn't it? What's off between Malachi and Mark? What feels like the missing piece here? John the Baptist, right? He's talked about, he's revealed in, he's revealed in Mark, correct? What's off here is Malachi is talking about the victorious return to the temple by an unendurable Lord. Yet Mark is talking about John the Baptist and Jesus' public ministry during his incarnation. Did Malachi miss something? Did Mark skip something? This is an example. This is a perfect example. My font weirdness notwithstanding on my slide here. Do you see where the mystery is located in this Old Testament verse of Malachi, right after it says, he will prepare the way before me. And then it says, then the Lord you're seeking will appear in the temple. That's the mystery. That's the hidden aspect. That's where Jesus' life fits into this Old Testament verse, right between the preparation and his return to the temple. In my mind, this is just one example and a really clear one for Christmas and Advent of how mystery and prophecy work together. As I look at this, as I see you know, you're an Old Testament, you're a first century Jew, and you're reading Malachi, and, you've been reading, and your family and your generations have been reading Malachi for generations, maybe we have a little bit more empathy, a little bit more understanding of why they're so surprised, why they don't understand necessarily when Jesus shows up it was hidden. It required spiritual ears to understand. It should also, the other side is not only empathy, but it makes me extremely grateful that I have the complete word of God, which explains and reveals Jesus and, and shows what these, what these prophecies are about. The incarnation is a mystery in Malachi, but it's revealed in Mark. So here's, actually, here's an observation. 
interesting observation. Jesus did come to the temple, though, in his, in our, his, in our, his incarnation, didn't he? He came to the temple twice, at least that we see in the, in the Gospels. He came to the temple as a kid, where he stumped all the teachers and impressed them with his knowledge. And then he came as, when he came in his final week, he came and, and cleansed the temple and overturned the money-changing tables. In his, final, in his final week, he threw all the folks out who were corrupt. It's interesting, these episodes from Christ's earthly life were examples of the near-far fulfillment of this prophecy in Malachi. Precursors, they couldn't endure his wisdom, they couldn't endure his cleansing of the temple, and they were precursors and even prophecies of his ultimate appearance as an unendurable conqueror, a conquering lord in his second return. So scripture is rich. This is just one example of prophecy. If you were to dig into this, and you were lay it all down, and you write it all out, and you look at all the implications of how the Old Testament and New Testament fit together with one another, it's very rewarding. It's very rich. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, too. If you, if you take time to look at prophecy, if you take time to look at some of these Christmas um, prophecies and dreams, I'd love to hear. Tell me. And, and as you're doing your own study and your own reading, tell me. Let me know what you think and, and what you discover, what the Lord shows you. So, mystery is hidden in prophecy. Prophecy is revealed in history. And we're going to see, as we're going to see from today's example, these revelations were experienced by real men and real women. Some of the revelations that God gave were by direct experience, and some of the revelations were by dreams. And sometimes the dreams worked hand in hand with the visions and prophecies that God set. Our first example here, our sense of wonder is founded on mystery and on prophecy. And this is the foundation for the Advent season. This is the foundation. For me personally, this is something that I can rest on a sense of wonder at what God has done. So let's start with God's instruction to Joseph and Mary, his pregnant fiance. You know, Jewish wedding traditions in the first century were different than our traditions today. We take some of this stuff, we take some of these things for granted. We, we are flooded and overwhelmed with our own culture and our own traditions, which are good. We have good traditions. We have good culture. We have good, we have good things when it, comes to, when it comes to marriage. But it was different. It was different for the, Jewish, for the Jews of the first century, and that's also okay, what they, how they, what they did. They, on, they were honoring God. They were honoring the family. They were honoring the institution of marriage and their, and with the way they structured their wedding. You know, it's not, it wasn't uncommon back then for marriages to be arranged. And arrangements would be followed by a period of courtship. And the courtship would then be followed by a formal betrothal. Okay, so time for another definition. Betrothal, another sort of old-fashioned or churchy word. What does betrothal mean? Betrothal means engagement. Ring on the finger. Yes. Will you marry me? Yes. That's what betrothal means. So courtship would be followed by formal betrothal between the couple. And then upon engagement, the husband or the suitor, in this case Joseph, he would have paid a bride price to, the, to Mary's father which is awesome. I'm sure it would have varied between different people and depending where they're from or what they were 
what their income was and what their standard of living was. And then Mary would remain in her father's home during the engagement period, which lasted a year. Now, as a dad, knowing that I have my daughter in my house for another year to do chores is awesome. So I highly approve of that tradition. Maybe we'll institute that. Um, but their engagement was serious, and it was seen as binding as marriage. It was seen as binding in marriage. And it's a way, not that our engagements are serious, but it's, we don't, we, it's, also, it's also a period of evaluation in some respects for our culture. Different, different emphasis for the first century Jewish culture. Joseph was a good man. Mary was a godly young woman. It was a great match, and they had a lot to look forward to. By the way, here are two excellent movies from recent years that depict the birth of Jesus. There's the first one from 2006 is called The Nativity Story. I saw that several years ago. Excellent, excellent de depiction of the nativity. And then last year, The Chosen released a Christmas special into theaters. It did very well in theaters. Very well, very well um, done story, up to the high quality of The Chosen. Both of them are well produced, well acted, inspiring, inspiring things. Well worth, well worth um, like a family evening if you wanted to gather and watch something that was inspirational or devotional or Advent themed as a family devotion here for the upcoming year. So back to our story. Great match. A lot to look forward to. The only complication was Mary became pregnant during their betrothal. And this was a huge, huge complication for first century Jewish culture. Of course, Mary had been visited and informed by the angel Gabriel that she would bear Jesus. But Joseph had not been forewarned. Can you imagine the conversation between Mary and Joseph when she told him? Again, imagine the conversation, not just seriously. I mean, again, Joseph's a good man. Mary's a godly woman. Just the, I mean, she's already, she personally is already going through a whole, a whole realm of feelings and understandings of what's going on, and she's had a chance to catch up with her, her, um, her cousin Elizabeth and share the share the anticipation and sure and share the fear. But what's going on in the mind of a man who loves God, fears God, loves his fiance dearly? She comes and says, I'm pregnant. And then she adds to that, by the way, I'm pregnant because God, the Holy Spirit, has come upon me and told me. I'm going to bear a son. It's, it's worth thinking about what that conversation looks like. It's worth thinking about what goes through the mind of a man who wants to do the right thing, really wants to do the right thing. Matthew chapter 1. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, and while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 9, I mean, verse 19. 
Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Of course, Joseph loved, loved her, trusted her, but her story was, what? what? What word do you describe? I mean, seriously, think about it. What word would you describe if someone you loved and trusted came and told you something that was impossible? You, were, you would be agonizing not to lash out. You would be trying to understand, and yet it is beyond your comprehension what this person is saying to you. And so for Joseph, it's beyond his comprehension what Mary is trying to say. He has nothing to hook this on. Of course, I mean, he's got stories. He's grown up, he's grown up as, a, as a Jew. He, has, he is very well familiar with the Jewish traditions and the Jewish stories and the scripture that exists up to this point. But miracles are for other people, aren't they? I give Joseph, Joseph a ton of credit for not making a rash decision or lashing out in anger. Joseph feared God, and he loved Mary. He was a man of faith, but from an earthly perspective, he was in an impossible situation. He needed something. <laughs> he needed something. And it's often at these points of devotion and puzzlement that God will meet us. For us, again, we're blessed to have his word to show us. But for, but for Joseph, God solved his dilemma. God honored his faith. God honored his love for Mary with a dream. And this dream that God gave Joseph was a fulfillment, was part of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Messiah. And this, is, this was Joseph's response of faith, was his participation in that prophecy. Matthew 1, 22. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. As Christians, as believers, as God-fearers, as people that respect Scripture and say this ought to inform our lives, and the Bible says this, it is our source of truth, and we believe it. I believe, I affirm, Jesus Christ was born to the Virgin Mary because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit upon her. It is a historical reality, a historical fact. It happened to a young woman named Mary who was engaged to a man named Joseph. It's one of the, it's one of the critical elements. It's one of the critical elements of our faith as believers in Jesus Christ the miraculous, that God intervened in, in our world. God's plan was fulfilled with Mary's obedience. God's mercy was shown to both Mary and Joseph by the dream that was given. How did Joseph respond? When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. 
interesting as I read through this this past week, I think one detail came to my mind that I maybe hadn't paid attention to or hadn't um, focused on before. Scripture does not show Joseph anguishing over the message of the dream. It doesn't show him being puzzled by it. We've seen other examples, other people that are like, Lord, you just gave me this dream. It's super weird. I have no idea what you're talking about. Would you please explain it to me? It was very clear. Joseph had the mercy from God to have a very clear dream. And it says, Joseph woke up and obeyed. Joseph woke up and obeyed. Wow. That I would respond to God's leadership so quickly. That you would respond to God's instruction in your life so quickly. If he makes something clear to you. And again, he communicates to us primarily through his word. Are you quick to obey? This is faith. This obedience. This to me is part of the wonder. The fact Joseph responded so quickly and so thoroughly to what God instructed him to do and cooperated in the fulfillment of prophecy. It, that is inspiring to me. So Joseph displayed wonder. The joyful reception of God's revelation with a heart towards obedience. And I can imagine too, again trying to put myself in his place a little bit. Wow, thank you God. Thank you, God. I want to honor you, Father. And I want this woman to be my wife, too. And you've just given me the solution for it. Because you've commanded me not to fear. And you've commanded me to obey joyful obedience on Joseph's part in response to the revelation that God gave him. That is inspiring. That is wonder. That is wonderful in my mind. Wonderful in my mind to see his obedience. Takes nothing away from Mary's Obedience takes nothing away from the fact that God chose her as the mother that would bear Jesus. But it also shows how God used Joseph to help fulfill that prophecy, use that dream to help fulfill that prophecy. So, as we regard this story and the other stories we're going to hear about in the coming weeks, what will our takeaways be? What will our takeaways be? So here's some things I'd like to encourage you to do as you consider this in the weeks ahead. And as you do your own reading as an individual and as a family, humble yourself. Humble yourself before the mystery of Scripture. If you see something you don't understand, ask the Lord to reveal it to you. Do some study. Take some time. It fit together like... <laughs> it fits together like an eternal puzzle three-dimensional, four-dimensional, whatever you want to call it. It fits together, just saw, as we saw how Mark fit into Malachi. Now Jesus' life fits into those things. It all fits together. Take the time to respond with wonder at the revelation of truth. It could be a profound history-changing truth, like the advent of Jesus Christ. For you, it could be a simple truth, like, I need to obey God. I need to forgive this person that's offended me. I need to repent to somebody that I've offended. I need to spend more time with the Lord. I need to love my neighbor. Big truths and little. And respond quickly with obedience. When he shows you something, my goal is to be like Joseph. 
Because if it's clear to me what he wants me to do, I want to develop a heart that responds quickly to him. And I encourage each of you, if he's showing you something, if he's revealing something to you, through his word especially, be quick to obey. Don't put it off. So let's pause. Let's commit ourselves and prepare ourselves as we get ready to celebrate this Christmas this month. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your mercy. I just, I just marvel at the mercy you showed Joseph and you allowed him to participate in the fulfillment of the prophecy and you solved an impossible dilemma for him. Lord, you solved an impossible dilemma for me when you sent Jesus Christ to be my Savior. It's a dilemma that we all face. Father, I pray that we would genuinely humble ourselves before your word. I pray that we would be quick to obey. I pray that we would see the fruit of obedience and the intimacy with you that that produces. Lift up these things in Jesus' name. Amen.